My major pain has, has been invisible. The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever think you're alone. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury. This week, we'll be speaking with Ashley. When I first scheduled an appointment to record with Ashley, she was undiagnosed. We were going to talk about her undiagnosed illness, something I relate to quite a bit, since, as you know, I am also someone who lives with an undiagnosed chronic illness. But miraculously, between the time that we scheduled our recording and the day that we actually sat down to record, Ashley got a diagnosis. She was diagnosed with type 1 Ehlers-Danlos. She found out through genetic testing that she has classical EDS, classical Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And as you'll hear as we get into our discussion, the first time she ever said that out loud to anyone else in the world was to me during this recording. So we have this moment recorded where for the first time, Ashley's able to say, this is the disease that I have out loud to another human being. Very, very special episode today. Ashley is currently going through the process of recontextualizing her entire life. This is a genetic disease that she has always had, and now looking back, she can find the evidence of it throughout her history. And in fact, she had a close call with a diagnosis about 15 years ago, where she was evaluated for EDS, and her doctor at the time didn't even tell her he was evaluating her for this disease, and didn't bring it up at all, and she still has no idea why, because obviously... She has the disease. So thinking back, it's surreal to think about the fact that she could have had this diagnosis about 15 years ago. Ashley is a nurse, and she worked on the front lines of COVID in the beginning of the pandemic. And during that time, her symptoms from EDS really started to flare up. And as she was finding it more and more difficult to work, she started doing some research trying to figure out her own diagnosis. She learned about EDS on TikTok, started doing some research, joined some Facebook groups, and found some recommendations on how to get genetic testing. And after having genetic testing done, took her results to a rheumatologist who eventually confirmed that she does have EDS. Due to this genetic defect, her body is not coding for connective tissue properly. And connective tissue is in the entire body. That's why EDS is referred to as a connective tissue disease, and it can cause wide-ranging symptoms all through the body. We've had several guests on the podcast with hypermobile EDS, which is the only form of EDS that does not currently have a genetic mutation attached to it, although researchers believe they are getting close. And I mentioned on the show before that I'd love to talk to someone on the podcast with a different form of EDS, and this is our opportunity today to hear about what it's like to have type 1 classical EDS. Something we didn't discuss during the episode is the lab that Ashley used. And she actually sent me this information because we felt it was important to share. The lab she used was called Invite, I-N-V-I-T-A-E. This is not an endorsement or a sponsorship of any type. This is just the lab that Ashley used that helped her get diagnosed. And I actually know from experience that the University of Washington uh, genetics lab actually uses Invite. I don't know how many labs they use, but I do know that when I had genetic testing done through the University of Washington for copper processing issues when we thought I might have Wilson's disease, Invite was the lab that we used. 
You know, we often talk to people who are undiagnosed like myself or people who are living with a diagnosis that they've learned to adapt to. But the chance to talk to someone in that moment of transition, when you're moving from being undiagnosed to diagnosed, that is such a powerful moment to be inside of. You know, I mean, for anyone who's ever lived for any period of time undiagnosed, you know how hard you work and how long it takes and how much medical gaslighting, how painful it can be to live undiagnosed for so long. But then to to cross that threshold to finally learn what it is that's going on inside your body, you know, Ashley had barely even begun to process what that's going to mean for the rest of her life during this conversation. And we talk a lot about, you know, the way that she's starting to recontextualize herself and her body. We talk a bit about using mobility aids and how she had been contemplating uh, starting to use a cane in public. So she actually sent me an email after recording this conversation that I really want to share with you because I thought it was very special. Ashley writes, just wanted to update you. I used my cane in public for the first time and it was so liberating. It helped me walk through the local zoo with my mom for Mother's Day. It provided the extra support my joints needed. I got home after walking for a mile and a half, and I wasn't in pain. Okay, maybe a little pain, but it was great. Thanks for the inspiration and support, Ashley. I felt totally honored to be the person that Ashley first spoke out loud her diagnosis to, and so lucky to have recorded it, to be able to share it. Makes for a really special conversation. Um, We're going to get to it in just a couple minutes. We got a comment on the website on last week's episode with Kristen about celiac disease. Short but sweet from Cece, it says, love this podcast, so eye-opening and interesting. Thank you, Cece. I always love hearing from people on the website. If you'd ever like to leave a comment, you can do so on every episode of the podcast on our website, majorpainpodcast.com. You can also interact with the show on social media. We are on TikTok and Instagram, both at majorpainpodcast. This podcast is supported by listeners on Patreon. I am so incredibly grateful for the financial support coming in through Patreon to help me to produce this show every week. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers who are supporting the show at the highest tier of $25 per month. Chris Fowler, Steve Cavanaugh, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. In fact, Hipster Leia is Ashley, who we'll be speaking with today. So you'll get to meet her today. Once a month, I sit down with my partner, Andy, and we record a bonus episode for everyone supporting us on Patreon uh, at every tier, starting at just $2 per month. And that will be happening very shortly. We'll be recording our episode for the month of June. So if you've already signed up on Patreon to support the show and you have a question or comment or prompt that you want us to address on our next bonus episode, make sure to leave your comment on last month's bonus episode and we will absolutely address it. You can head over to patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast to sign up to support this show. You can also gain access to gifts and recognition on the podcast, and it goes a long way towards helping to support this podcast to keep it going. I'll share a quick update on myself and my own health journey. Last week, we talked about celiac disease with Kristen, and I mentioned in the intro that I was being tested for celiac disease because I believe that I have a gluten intolerance of some kind. I've been eating gluten-free for over a decade. My doctor, uh, my gastroenterologist, said that he would run the celiac test for me and that I had to eat gluten for at least two weeks before doing the test. After eating gluten for 
a couple of weeks, I went and had the test done, and I was feeling okay. I felt like, hey, this might be working for me. But after a few more weeks, I started to have some pretty extreme gastrointestinal distress, went off gluten, and that all went away. So it seemed to have some sort of cum cumulative effect where the longer I was on gluten, the more it was affecting me. And that made me super curious what was going to happen with this celiac test. So I waited for a couple of months and never got the results, finally reached out to my doctor and said, hey, what's going on? Where are these test results? So I finally got the answer to what happened. Um, right around the time that my celiac test was run was when I started seeing my new doctor who has run dozens and dozens of tests. So right when the test for celiac was ordered, I went in to fill a bunch of tests for my new doctor, but I had not eaten gluten yet, so I couldn't do the celiac test right away. They asked me at the lab, which test do you want to run? I said, everything from this new doctor, but wait on this test from my gastroenterologist. I'm going to take that in a couple weeks. And instead of waiting on that test, they just completely deleted it from my account. So I went back in a couple weeks later to have the celiac test drawn, and I said, hey, there should be labs for uh, my gastroenterologist. I'd like to do those today. And there were additional labs beyond just the, uh, the celiac test. So I asked, is the celiac test there? And they said, yes, we have labs for this doctor. I don't think they actually checked if the celiac test was there. So, you know, I did everything that I thought I needed to do. I said, please wait on the celiac test. And then two weeks later, I said, please give me the celiac test. They said, yes, we can wait. And then they said, yes, we will do it. And it wasn't done. So uh, in order to get the celiac test done, I would have to go through the process of eating gluten for another two weeks. And I don't really want to do that because it was pretty rough at the end of the last one. Uh, but I am having a full genetic workup done. I am, you know, paying out of pocket with the help of Andy to, uh, to have a full genome sequencing done. And we're also doing a mitochondrial sequencing. And we're even comparing it against my parents' DNA. So we're going, you know, we're going all in with the genetic testing, really hopeful to find something there. And there is, to my knowledge, a genetic marker for celiac disease. So I'm hoping that I won't have to redo the, the celiac test and we can just find out from the genetic testing whether or not I have celiac disease or just some sort of, you know, gluten sensitivity. You know, I feel like with any, uh, with any inflammatory issue, eating gluten might be a problem, you know, because gluten can be an inflammatory food for anyone who has some sort of inflammation. I'm not sure if I have an inflammatory issue or not because I'm undiagnosed, but it's possible that gluten could be bad for me in, in several different ways. So I'm just continuing to not eat it. But of course, yeah, very, very frustrated that the test that I ate gluten for was not run. And I was told that it was run because people weren't paying close attention and never told that it was deleted because people were not paying close attention in the lab. And, you know, this is part of being chronically ill is having to deal with these little mistakes, you know, these little mistakes that happen all the time, like scheduling issues, uh, appointments being converted from telehealth to in-person without me being told, appointments being on the wrong day, you know, <laughs> appointments being canceled without my knowledge, uh, tests not being run. And, you know, all these things like being, I, I was on hold today with the doctor's office for an hour and the person I finally got on the phone didn't know how to help me. So 
all those things are so frustrating and it's really hard to stay, you know, stay in your Zen place and try to be chill and relaxed about all these things because, you know, the hospital's dealing with so many patients, thousands of people calling them every day, probably, I don't know. And I'm just one of many. Um, but yeah, just keep my head up, keep pushing along, keep searching for answers. Really got my fingers crossed on this genetic testing. Uh, I have the test kit in hand and I just need to drive to a special lab that's about half an hour away to, you know, deposit some blood and have it sent off. And then it should be about eight weeks, uh, six to eight weeks before I get results. Um, yeah, and I'll keep you updated, but that's that's where we're heading. Very excited about it. I have been experimenting with some new medications with my new doctor. Um, I'm going to wait to share more on that until I have more information. I'm meeting with her again this Thursday, and we're going to talk about how I've been doing on the new medications. And yeah, we'll move forward from there, but I'll keep you updated. I've really got my fingers crossed. You know, I've been I'm feeling really positive about the whole thing recently. Like there is an answer to be found and that hopefully we will find it. And, you know, that's the best you can hope for in the midst of a tumultuous process to at least have some hope and be moving forward and making progress. The last thing I'll tell you before we jump into our episode with Ashley today is to keep in mind that I am not a medical professional. And although Ashley is a nurse, we are speaking with a medical professional today because Ashley is a nurse, but even so, it's very important that you not take any action based off of what you hear on this podcast without first consulting a doctor. Ashley's opinions are her own. There's no way for her to be able to give you advice based off of your medical situation since she's never met you before. And I am just a constant creator who has no idea what he's talking about. So please do not take any medical action based on what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our fantastic episode with Ashley about classical EDS, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Um, I first became aware of you through your uh, review on Apple Podcasts, where your screen name is Hipster Leia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so does that mean you're a Star Wars nerd? I'm a pretty big Star Wars nerd, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Me too. Absolutely. What's your What's your favorite Star Wars? Um, I was thinking about the, that the other day because people ask me what my favorite movie is and I say Star Wars and they say that doesn't count because that's a lot of movies now. <laughs> um, so I think it's probably The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. I think that's probably my favorite. You're an original trilogy person. I am. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I did start off in a really weird way. I thought about it the other day and I probably watched the movies differently than anyone else in the universe because I never watched any of it. My family's not a fan. Um, and then it, it was probably 1999 and I saw episode one <laughs> and I was like, I have no idea what's going on, but I love this. <laughs> <laughs> so there's wow. a, you know, there's a Jedi mind trick. And I was like, I don't know how he's doing that, but that's great. Um, and so <laughs> it was after that, that a friend of mine was like, oh yeah, my dad really likes the movies. Here's uh, the original trilogy on VHS. And so I sat down and just, you know, zoomed through that. Wow. I can't and imagine then, watching the prequels first, but that's how a whole, I know. that's how a whole generation has come to Star Wars and people love the prequels that, that watch them first. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Now that I've seen the original ones. <laughs> 
I like episode one less, but hmm. it was it was my gateway. So. Yeah, I, I've come around a little bit on the prequels. Like I, I've recognized that I have nostalgia for them, which is weird because I didn't like them when they came out. Um, I like a lot of parts of episode three quite a bit, um, even since I first saw it. But you know, but yeah, like re- rewatching them as an adult and being nostalgic for something that I didn't think that I liked is a weird feeling. And then you have to kind of recognize, well, I do like parts of this, you know. Um, and it's still, it's still Star Wars. And I love the way that they fit into the, the overall story, but I actually kind of love all Star Wars, you know, like I love the sequel trilogy. I love the Mandalorian. Um, you know, Rogue One is one of my favorite movies. It's just all, it's all so good. Yeah. I went, (laughs) I went maybe a little extreme in my teenage years. Um, there was a thing when I was in junior high where you had to do a science fair project and then the next year you did a history fair project and they said you could do a, a project on anything. And I said, I want to do it on the impact that Star Wars has had on our culture. Yeah. And they're like, well, like we did say anything. So <laughs> that's a great idea. I mean, it's had a huge impact on culture. Oh, yeah. So here's here's the picture of me dressing up me at 13. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, Bending over to record a message into R2-D2. As Princess Leia. That's fantastic. As Princess Leia, yeah. Yeah, with your so. with your hipster glasses. <laughs> yep, yep. Wow, that's absolute. I wish our listeners could see that. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my podcasting background is in sci-fi. So whenever we have sci-fi nerds on the show, it takes all of my self-control to not just talk about it for hours. Just that, yeah. Yeah, but here we go. <laughs> Okay. So, Ashley, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? We already know that you love Star Wars, but uh, tell us some yes. more about you. Besides being a nerd, um, I have been a nurse uh, since 2009. Um, and then in, um, I guess it was 2018, I graduated and became a nurse practitioner. Um, and since then, I have been just mo- mostly working in the ICU um, in my hospital. Wow. And I work nights, which is exciting. <laughs> and not good for my health. Um, and then outside of work, I pretty much anything crafty, anything, any sort of hobby that has an end product. Mm. That's for me. So yeah. painting, sewing, um, yeah, just about anything yeah, like very that. Cool. So. Awesome. Well, so you are a healthcare professional. That's always exciting to talk to someone who who is a healthcare professional and also has some sort of major pain, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's always a really unique perspective. So I'm really excited to get into it. What's your favorite thing that you've made as far as like a crafty project is concerned? Oh my goodness. Um, that's tough. Um, my big thing right now is um, since the pandemic started, I made scrub caps for all the nurses in my hospital. Cool. And so I've got a little, I have a little Etsy store where I sell those. So. Oh, awesome. Um, and they of course have to be nerdy. So I have like a Harry Potter line and a star Wars line. (laughs) Wow. Um, I, well, you have to plug it now. What, where do people go if they want a nerdy scrub cap? If you would like a nerdy scrub cap or one with cats on it, I also do that. (laughs) Um, it's called sun on my face is the name of the Etsy store. And it's got a little sunflower so that people know if they find it. Awesome. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, my mom made a ton of masks when COVID first started, so I have a nice uh, couple of Grogu masks that I'm very excited about. <laughs> um, yeah, well, let's get into your into your health situation. So, Ashley, what is your major pain? 
Uh, my major pain is, um, and I was thinking about this the other day, how funny, uh, when I say this out loud to you, you'll, I think you'll be the first person I have said it out loud to. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I was just recently in the last few weeks diagnosed with classical EDS, the Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, there's about 13 different kinds of Ehlers-Danlos and, um, I am lucky enough, I guess, to have one of the types that is, um, has a genetic marker for it. Wow. Um, which un- unfortunately did not help me get a diagnosis quicker. <laughs> so, wow. I'm shocked because I knew, you know, fun. I knew that you were undiagnosed and kind of going through this process of trying to yeah. find answers, but you found an answer. I did. Wow. I did finally. Wow. And also I've never spoken to anyone with any of the other types of Ehlers-Danlos besides the hypermobile. And that's been a big question on my mind is like, what are the other types and what is it like to live with them? So, so you're going to have some of these answers today. Um, but yeah. also I have to say, I'm, I know how it must be so overwhelming to have a diagnosis and yeah, like being undiagnosed is really hard. But then I thought about this a lot. Like, what about that moment where you get that answer? That must be really overwhelming in a completely different way. It, it was because I had spent so long in my life thinking about myself in a certain way. And now I'm trying to learn how to think about myself with this addition, I yeah. guess. Wow. So up until this point, um, well, I'd always known something was going on, but um, I'd always thought of this as just how I am, like how my body is. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a little bit different. This is just me. Yeah. Um, and then when it started to become a problem and started to impact you know, my daily functioning, you know, that's when it really was like, I need to figure something out. Totally. Well, I know, I know nothing about classic Ehlers-Danlos. So, what is it? Um, So, they all, basically, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome affects um, the connective tissue in your body. Unfortunately, there's connective tissue in all of your body. Mm. (laughs) So, um, it can affect lots of different things. Uh, For me, what's the most noticeable is um, my joints. So I still have, um, but I don't have all of my joints are not hypermobile. It's certain ones. Um, so right now, currently, it is uh, my jaw, my left knee, both ankles, and um, my right thumb. Wow. Um, so those are the big ones. Um, and then Ehlers-Danlos affects lots of different things. It affects my vision. Um, so I've always had pretty poor vision. Um, it's 201200, if that makes sense in the scale of, you know, 2020 is what we're aiming for. Wow. Um, so I have to be six feet away from the big E at the top of the, um, sign for me to see the E. Wow. Um, so thankfully I'm currently still able to correct with contact lenses um, but because of the the connective tissue issue in my eyes, it's very hard to get a prescription that works mm-hmm. because my vision's a little bit different every day. Wow. So, so that can be exciting. <laughs> what What are the differences? Uh, you know, like hypermobile EDS is the one that I'm most familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the differences between that and the classical form? Primarily, I think the biggest difference, and I have not done a ton of research quite yet, um, but I think it, uh, for me, it's less of the the main joints of my body. Mm. 
and more um, effects affecting like uh, my vasculature, so my blood vessels. And um, so I also have POTS, um, but I like to be rare. So I have the most rare form of POTS, which is adrenergic POTS, which basically means that my body res responds to any sort of stress um, way too much. Mm. So um, at this point, even like walking up a set of a uh, flight of stairs, like a normal body would increase your heart rate a little bit to get more blood to your muscles to go up a flight of stairs. Um, my heart goes to 140 mm -hmm. whenever I walk up a set of stairs. And it was like, you're climbing a mountain, right? It's like, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm doing normal things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Wow. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with POTS is uh, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. We have Yes. A couple of great episodes about it so far in the podcast feed. Um, and I'm, I'm currently wearing a heart monitor, um, being tested for POTS myself. And I've discovered that I do, I also, I, I don't know if I have POTS yet, but I do know that I have some, like my, my heart rate has been spiking when I stand up. So I really don't know what's going on with me, but I, I have learned a lot about POTS recently. And I can vouch for the fact that like, when you're, when you're doing a normal task and your heart rate is really high, it's it can be like r impossible to complete. Like you have to like stop and rest and, you know, like get your head down and, you know, get that heart rate down. Yeah. It really makes certain things a challenge in life. Yeah. You know, taking a shower. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, is so for, is that something that comes and goes based off of the day? Like are, are is your pots worse on some days and, and better on other days or is it always bad? Um, it is worse on some days, better on some days. Uh, what I found is there are certain things that help. Um, I tend to get dehydrated really easily. So I'm always trying to drink fluids. Um, and I've just tried started um, the stuff you can buy online called liquid IV. Hmm. It's a little powder that you mix in your water and it has a lot of electrolytes in it. Um, oh, cool. But it, it tends to be high in sodium, which is something that people with POTS uh, struggle with. Hmm. So. Um, when I'm better hydrated and, you know, I'm not sick in any way. Um, so the last time we tried to record, um, I had gotten a upper respiratory infection. And the way I try to explain it to people is that um, I just have less reserve than other people. Mm. So when I get sick, you know, it's not knocking me down to 50%. I, you know, I live at 50%. Mm. So if I get sick in any way, it knocks me down to, you know, the non-functioning side of the scale yeah so i had about four days where i could not stand up because yeah. of the dizziness and the you know high heart rates and things yeah so. totally yeah i the more i learn about pots the more it's like man this is debilitating you know yeah like it's it's one of those things where it's like some i feel like a lot of doctors still don't take it very seriously or might like diagnose someone with it and then kind of say, okay, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Instead of trying to like help them work through it or learn how to live with it. But it's, it's hard. Yeah. The best response that I get is I have told a few of my coworkers about the, uh, about POTS and they'll say, oh, that sucks. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you know what it is. <laughs> so. Yeah. Wow. So. Yeah, this, so this is so interesting thinking about classical EDS affecting the connective tissue, like of the entire body, of like affecting your eyes and um, and, and uh, does it affect your organs as well? 
Um, yes, I am more prone to um, like hernias, which I don't know uh, if you've ever had one, but I basically do. I um, had one recently. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so our connective tissue uh, doesn't work as well. And so uh, we're more prone to, um, yeah, to hernias and, and inside and outside of our bodies. So what is an out what's an outside hernia? Uh, well, outside is more when you have the ones that you can feel. Um, so you can get like an inguinal hernia or an incisional hernia that are like things that you can feel and get back into place, but there's oh. also hernias inside of your body. So you can get a hernia like in your diaphragm wow. and your intestines can actually go up <laughs> into your chest. Um, when you have a, a hernia in your diaphragm. So, Yikes. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, I just, I found out recently that I have an inguinal hernia that, I think happened while I was going up a hill in my wheelchair, <laughs> which is oh. like, this doesn't seem fair. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, wow. That's, that's, uh, that's really interesting. I'm learning a lot already. Um, so I, I, I want to hear a little bit about your, your journey to get to this point. I mean, you just found out that you have Ehlers-Danlos, but this was a long journey to get there. When did your health journey start? So I've been thinking about that quite a bit. I, I made notes. Nice. Wow. Look at that. <laughs> That's what I do. Um, yeah. So I was trying to think um, when this started, because I like to think chronologically, but it's, it's difficult because this is just, like I said, um, how I've always been. Yeah. This is just part of who I am. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought about it and probably the first thing uh, I was about seven or eight um, and I went to go get um a bunch of my teeth pulled because they said at the time they just said uh your mouth is too small for all of your teeth and i was like i don't know what that means <laughs> um but one of the features of classical eds is a very high um palate in your mouth and then all of your teeth kind of there's less room for them because they your your teeth are in more of a narrow configuration mm. um so i got 12 teeth pulled that day when i was seven years old um, so I have less teeth than the average adult now. Um, but another thing about EDS, just amazing, is lidocaine or novocaine that they use during those kind of procedures um, doesn't work on us. Mm. So um, I felt the entire procedure of wow. having all these teeth pulled. As, wow. Uh-oh. Sorry. Oh, we have a cat this, visitor. Hello. <laughs> this is Sophia. <laughs> Sophia Petrillo. Cute. Golden Girls. Um, oh, she like she likes to be in everybody's business. Yeah, I'm um, glad you clarified Golden Golden Girls because I did not get it at first. That's yes. fantastic. There's also um, Oliver Queen. I hear that <laughs> um, you enjoy Arrow as well. I yeah, I've seen every episode of Arrow. I don't know how much of it I necessarily enjoyed, but I watched it. All. <laughs> I loved it at first. And then like after a while, it's like, okay, I don't know what we're doing anymore, but I'm still watching. <laughs> yeah. I stopped around um, season three or four Yeah, when it got a little bit weirder. But <laughs> it got, it got, it got hard to get through, Yeah, but I don't know. I made it. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> so my cat was born when all of that was like season one of the uh, arrow. And so awesome. I was like Oliver Queen. Yeah. Anyway, they'll distract me a lot. <laughs> Um, so I remember, this is probably one of my formative memories because I was seven years old, uh, just screaming as they're pulling my teeth. Wow. 
um, and saying, I can feel it. And the dentist just saying, she's a kid, she's scared. You know, he's telling my mom, like, she's just being dramatic. And I was like, no, I can feel it. I'm, and I would tell him, like, you're grabbing the tooth and you just pulled it out. You know, I'm telling them. And they're telling me that I'm being dramatic and I'm a kid and I, you know. Wow. Okay. So the medical yeah. gaslighting starts early. Starts early. That that's yeah. ridiculous. Like, yeah. I, I don't. Uh, it's so upsetting. Like, <laughs> you are the one experiencing your body. You know, for anyone to tell you what you're feeling in your body and to try to override your experience of your body, that's like so offensive. Yeah, it was um, not great. But it's one of those things that as a child, you just, you get past it and you don't think about it mm. that much again. Um, and then in high school, um, I started having trouble with my jaw and it would pop out of the socket all the time. And again, I was thinking like, that, that probably happens. That's, <laughs> what is, what know, does that feel like? Awful. <laughs> um, it's really interesting because now um, I, I'm 35 now. Um, so this started when I was probably 15 or 16. And so at the time, um, everything was a lot tighter. So when it would pop out, it was a, like, um, an ordeal to get it back in. Mm. And now it just like pops out and I just popped it back in. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> like just You can get happens. good at anything if you practice. <laughs> right. It just happens now. Um, but I remember like it hurting to eat and, you know, all of these issues. And again, I just kept, I, I think of it sometimes where I'm just, I'm gaslighting myself. Mm. It's like, Oh, you're fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and then in college, it was my left shoulder. And this was, this was my first time as more of an adult, uh, with the gaslighting. So, um, I started to have my left shoulder pop in and out of the socket all the time. Again, you know, whatever. And I finally got to the point where I was like, this is not manageable. Mm. You know, I'd reach up into the cabinet to pick up a mug and that was enough weight to knock my shoulder out of the socket. Wow. I was like, this is not manageable. So I go to um, a, a random orthopedic doctor in town and he like barely touched me to do a physical exam, just kind of listens to me. And he goes, no, no, that's totally normal. Um, if you just uh, exercise more, you know, you'll be fine. Wow. So I, I do that. I was on the golf team at the time. So I'm, you know, uh, working out more, doing all this stuff and it's just getting worse. Mm. So I go to uh, my mom, finally, the first time in my entire life where I was like, I think something's wrong. At, at so, what age? Uh, 19. Wow. 20. You just, you just suffered through it your whole life until then. Yeah. Wow. Just telling yourself it was okay. Yeah. Just telling myself that it was okay. Wow. I had a, um, an interest. Well, I mean, this happens to a lot of people. I was the, f the first born and then, uh, my siblings are all much younger than me. Um, they're now 25, 23 and, uh, 21. Um, and so like more of my, my role was the caregiver growing mm. up. Is helping. So it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of time to be like, you know, to focus on me. And yeah. I don't want, want to be like complaining or anything, but that's just kind of like, these are the facts. I think we're, this is what yeah, where some of this yeah. came from was just, I was so always so focused on taking care of everyone else. Well, it's incredible 
it's incredible that you made it that long. You know, I mean, you, you have Ellers Danlos, and you need you need to be taken care of too. You know, like you're living with something very painful and very difficult, and and it's a hundred percent reasonable to to need care. You know, to make it that long without care is kind of astonishing. Yeah. So uh, at that point, I go to my primary doctor, who is amazing. He was like, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to send you to the specialist and we'll get this figured out. He was, he was very big on, um, even if I don't know the answer, you know, we'll figure this out. Oh, I love that. Yes, he is great. Um, and so he sent me to an orthopedic doc after he did an MRI. And the only thing that he did wrong was that I remember when he called me and said, okay, we got the MRI results. It looks great. Everything's nothing's wrong. <laughs> And I just remember crying, you know, because nothing can't be wrong. I know something's wrong. Mm. And then years later, I actually have a copy of that MRI report now, and it did not say that everything was fine. <laughs> so I'm not sure what that was about. What did it say? Um, at that point, I had uh, torn my rotator cuff. Um, from all of the exercise, extra exercising that I was trying to do to strengthen mm. that joint. Um, and so on the positive side, he did send me to an orthopedic surgeon. Um, and this is probably the craziest part of the story that I keep thinking about. So the orthopedic surgeon does his evaluation and he immediately is like, you need surgery. We need to fix this. All of the ligaments in your shoulder are too loose. Mm. So they're not holding the joint in place. So all that's holding your joint in place is the muscles around it. Hmm. And that's why it's so tired. And in the evenings, you you don't have the energy anymore. And so it, it pops out of the socket. And he did a full, now I know, did a full uh, physical eval for uh, Ehlers-Danlos. Wow. But he didn't say anything to me. Whoa. He just went like, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. You know, you can bend your thumb back and touch your... Um, you know, your wrist and everything. And he's so asking me about family history. Do you have anyone in your family that has these kinds of issues and all of that? And then he just never said <laughs> Ehlers-Danlos wow. to me. I could have had a diagnosis when I was 20 years old. Whoa, that is trippy. <laughs> like you were, you yeah. were in a room with the answer yes. and it just wasn't spoken out loud. Yeah. So I, wow. I had absolutely no idea what he was doing. That's and crazy. I get chills <laughs> so thinking I, about that. That's upsetting. I don't I don't understand that. And uh, he was a, a great doc and he got my shoulder, you know, feeling much better. Hmm. And so basically what he went in and did is he made a couple incisions and tightened like tightened up all of the ligaments and cut the extra pieces out. Whoa. You know, chuck, <laughs> chuck that. Don't need that anymore. Whoa. Um so then for a while it was it was very, very tight. Hmm. Um, and there's still some things that the left shoulder can't do that the right one can, but what it can't do is pop out of the socket. And so I like that. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. I've never heard of that procedure. That's crazy. Yeah. And it, it was just interesting looking back that, you know, I was, I was inches away from knowing what was going on with yeah. my body. I'm so curious. Like so, why you have Ehlers-Danlos. He did the workup. He must have seen something like what, what, yeah. what was the disconnect? Like why, why didn't he move forward with that if he was evaluating you for it? I, I don't know. I can't figure it out. Yeah. Um, 
speaking with my current primary care doctor, who again is great, um, she understood what Ehlers-Danlos is and she knew the criteria, but she didn't feel comfortable doing the actual diagnosis, which I thought was odd. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's unfortunately like way down the journey. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, but then um, I just kind of continued on with life and, you know, I had certain joints that would hurt and people would tell me all the time, like, oh, you have back pain. Everyone has back pain. Mm -hmm. And I'd go, okay, understandable. Yeah, everyone has back pain. And you just kind of move on, you know. And then it was actually during um, COVID that things got a lot worse. Mm -hmm. And I think it was possibly because um, uh, my group at my job actually got volunteered um, to take care of the COVID patients. Wow. Um, in the ICU. And so these were high stress patients. Um, in the beginning, there was a lot of death. Um, and we were very short staffed because the hospital was so full. Wow. So I was working four or five, 12 hour night shifts a week. Um, and I think I just, I pushed my body past where it could go. Yeah. I can't and, imagine. And it, and it pushed back. <laughs> So that's when I started having, you know, a lot more pain and have having trouble walking around and um, yeah, just a lot of different things. And then I started to do some research and um, this is where I'm lucky because I am a healthcare provider. And so I have the background knowledge. And so I was able to do a lot of the research myself and save myself money hmm. because healthcare in the United States is ridiculously expensive. Yeah. Um, and so at that point I was doing a lot of research and I was looking into a lot of things and Ehlers-Danlos ended up being like way down the list, but it was actually because of TikTok. <laughs> I saw um, a few um, creators on TikTok and that's when I started to go down that path. Hmm. And so I looked up, um, there's actually a very simple um, diagnostic cr criteria for Ehlers-Danlos. It's, it's a one sheet page and you go down and you say, you know, does your body do this check mark, you know, and you mm. go down and you can diagnose, but I can't diagnose myself. Yeah. So is, then is it that became, the Baton score? Is that what that is? Uh, the Baton scale. Yeah. Baton scale. Okay. That was, yeah. that was close. And it's just, <laughs> it's just like a, a one sheet page you can download off the internet. Wow. Like, so I found that and I was meeting all the criteria. Hmm. And then I thought, okay, so I get, I joined some uh, communities on Facebook. How do you get diagnosed? Who do you go to? And so they were talking about going to see a geneticist. Um, so I found a, a program I could do online. So I, I could like Skype in to a, a geneticist. So I didn't have mm. to find one locally. Wow. And then they, they mailed me a kit and I, you know, rub the cotton swab on the inside of my mouth and I put it in the thing and sent it away. And um, I'm talking to the geneticist and they're saying, oh yeah, you, this sounds very much like Ehlers-Danlos. And I was like, thank you. That's what I think too. Um, and then of course it's months later because those take yeah. so much time to, to run. And I get this letter in the mail saying, uh, you have an abnormality on this chromosome, on this gene. Um, but it's not the one that everyone else has. Hmm. 
So you're fine. What? <laughs> yeah. Wait, what does that even mean? Right. So he's like, um, well, because you have this gene and it's like a cola two, I can't remember exactly, but there's so many genes, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I have an abnormality in that gene, but I have a different abnormality than most people have. Interesting. So he's, he basically said you don't fit exactly with what everyone else has. Um, So you're fine. Nothing's wrong with you. What, what does he mean? Don't by, worry about it. I don't even understand <laughs> what that means. Like, that makes no sense. Uh, a different abnormality than, than like, most people with um, EDS have? Or, or yes. what, is that, what is that? Is that what he means? Yes. So, that's a, a gene um, that they use to diagnose classical EDS. Uh-huh. But I had a different um, genetic piece. So, there's, um, there's four different genetic. I don't want to, I don't know if I need to get into, like, the basics of uh, genetics. Yeah. But uh, there's four base pairs and um, your entire genetic sequence, if you printed the whole thing out, would be like a phone book mm-hmm. with just the letters C, G, A, and T mm-hmm. over and over and over again in different patterns. And that's how your body knows how to create your personal, you know, your person Yeah, is that sequence of letters. And I had an alteration in one of those letters, but it was a different letter okay so like same place different letter (laughs) yes i see i'm with you now okay so like okay in the place for the classical eds where you'd find a genetic abnormality you have an abnormality there but it's a different one than than is normally looked for with classical eds yes so he just assumed that it was nothing even though you have all the symptoms and you have a genetic defect in the place that you were looking Yes. That makes that makes that part still makes no sense, but that's his fault, sounds like. Right. <laughs> so because it wasn't a geneticist in town, it was just this, you know, this program yeah. through, you know, national program. I had no way to like have a follow-up wow. with him. So at that point I was really giving up. I was like, um, you know, what do I do at this point? Yeah. Um, so again. And I am, I am, because I'm a medical professional, I am able to medically gaslight myself. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm able to say, no, you're being ridiculous. Uh, There's got to be something else going on. There's no way that you're just this rare exception to the rule, you know, move on. Yeah. But my symptoms just kept getting worse. Yeah. And it was like, I'm to the point now, um, where I, I still work my my full-time job and I do my three 12 hours um, night shifts a week. Um, but it takes the other four days of the week to recover from that, mm-hmm. to get ready to do it again. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm losing out on um, the fun parts of life. Yeah. So it was at that point where I thought, you know, I've got to try at least one more time. <laughs> So thankfully I went back to my primary care doctor and um, I said, I know how every time I see you, uh, you say, how are things going? And I say, things are good. I was lying. And I felt, um, I felt bad Mm. and I shouldn't have, but I felt bad throwing all of this at her all at once because I had never mentioned any of these issues to her. 
Because you were gaslighting yourself into thinking they weren't serious. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because I was just like, no, you're fine. Like, let's deal with, um, you know, I have, I have low thyroid levels. Let's deal with that. Hmm. Um, you know, let's deal with my anxiety. Let's deal with that. And then I just never mentioned any of this. And so I'm with my primary care doctor who is amazing. And I just word vomited (laughs) everything I've just told you, (laughs) just all of it. And I um, handed her the paperwork from the geneticist and she said, this is above what I can do for you, Mm. but I'm going to find you a rheumatologist. And, um, she did, she found me an amazing rheumatologist. I had, um, just a few weeks ago, I had an hour long appointment with her where she asked me every question I could think, you know, to answer and said, um, yeah, this is what you have. And just that easy. I just, just sat, just that easy. Whoa. And I just sat there and I went. Like I, I was just shocked. And she said, well, you have the, an alteration in this gene. It doesn't matter that it's the wrong alteration because there's something wrong. You're, you're not coding for um, connective tissue in your body correctly. Hmm. It doesn't matter if it's a T instead of a G. Yeah. It's still not correct. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And so then she, she also diagnosed me um, recently with, the, with POTS. Mm. Um, and I, I just walked out of the appointment and I didn't know what to do. For so long, I had been either thinking that nothing was wrong with me. Yeah. You know, um, or that there was something wrong, uh, but it was just always going to be a mystery. Yeah. And then to have someone just um, dump a diagnosis out like that, so simply, like like if I had just known to go to her in the beginning, then nothing would, none of this would have happened. Yeah. <laughs> like if only I had known. Yeah, but. I I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been undiagnosed for a really long time. So I, and I'm 37, we're really close to the same age. And I can totally relate to, you know, trying to tell yourself over and over that nothing's wrong and trying to just, or being told by doctors over and over that nothing is wrong and like trying to convince yourself of that and trying to just move on with your life. But then it just keeps coming back because there is something there and not being able to find it is so infuriating. And then like someone is just like, Oh yeah, it's right there. (laughs) It's been staring at you the whole time, you know? Um, Yeah. I, I I can't, um, I can't imagine that feeling, you know, like, that's the I'm, it, I that's what I want so badly is to like have an answer but I'm also scared of that moment of like what does that mean you know when you have the answer and it's you know in your situation it's like a incurable genetic disease that you will live with for right. the rest of your life like I mean that must be so overwhelming Yeah it was it was very interesting because she said what I hear a lot which was um so I can diagnose you with this, but I don't know what good that's going to do you because um, it's not it's not curable. It's not really even treatable. Um, there are just these different things you can do to make it easy, you know, to make your body function better. Yeah. And when she said, um, you know, 
giving you this diagnosis isn't really doing anything. And I was like, it's doing so much. Yeah. It's giving me a reason why these things are happening. And, um, you know, helping me to not feel crazy. You know, when I'm walking down the stairs and my left leg just kind of gives out and I'll go, oh, EDS, Hmm. you know, (laughs) instead of, am I just walking wrong today? Why am I so (laughs) tired? You know, like just having a reason, a name uh, means a lot. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I've heard that over and over too. It's like, you know, why we're not even going to check the things that don't do you any good for us to diagnose you with. And I'm like, but if I have that thing, I need to know that, you know, like you need to know what disease you have. And, and even in her, what you just said, it's like, well, there's not really any, um, any treatments, but there are things we can do to help to manage the symptoms. It's like, great, let's do those things. Like, are you telling me that it's not worth doing those things? So you're not going to tell me about them or like, what, what's the, what's the deal? Like that type of thinking is so backwards, you know? And then to, for, for someone who's undiagnosed to keep looking for something uh, unnecessarily because there's something that can be found, even if that thing is not treatable, like that, if that is the end of the search and the beginning of learning to live with it, that, that is a pivotal turning point. And to be denied that because a doctor doesn't think it's helpful, like that's wrong. You know, that is helpful. You know, take yeah. it take it from the people who live with the stuff, doctors. That's helpful. Yeah. I have never heard anyone with a chronic illness say, well, you know, I know what it is, but, it, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. So I wish I didn't know what it was. I've never <laughs> heard anyone say that. The only people that say, um, well, what does it matter to have a name for it are people that don't have these issues. Totally. Yeah, it matters tremendously. So, okay, wait, it's, it was like a week ago that this happened? Um, two, two or three weeks ago. Two or three weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. So, you, you probably haven't even begun to process no. what that means for you yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, that's probably going to take years. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to adjust... Um, I'm trying to give myself um, a little bit of leniency at this Mm. point after so many years of pushing so hard. Mm. I'm trying to give myself, um, yeah, just a little bit of forgiveness at this point. Like, it's okay you couldn't do that. It's okay, you know, that you missed this family vacation or that you couldn't go out this night um, because you have to take care of yourself. And I don't know if I love the spoon analogy, but um, sometimes I just run out of spoons. Mm-hmm. And I don't know any better way to say that for people, except for, have you seen the dog on TikTok, the bones or no bones? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'll say that like, guys, it is just a not, it's a no bones day. Yeah. Like <laughs> I have no bones, no spoons. <laughs> yeah. I got nothing. And, and that's never your fault, you know, like you have you now know like you have a disease that causes that. So, uh, but like when you're gaslighting yourself, it's so easy to tell yourself it's my fault that I'm not making it to those things. And yeah, when you said, when you said that, you know, like all the things that you've missed, like I really 
feel that I've missed so many things, you know? And like, when you said that my heart just sank, just thinking about like the, the things that I've missed or the things that I went to and didn't even participate, like going on a family vacation and lying down the entire time. Like I made so much progress on my Stardew Valley farm. The first time I went to Tahoe with, with Andy's family, <laughs> cause I was just in bed the entire time. Like just the act of getting there, you know, used up all my spoons. So I spent almost the entire time just lying down and it's so hard to not feel guilty for that, you know, feel like you're doing something wrong, but like you're, you're trying your absolute hardest. You just don't have the same reserves of energy and the same resources that, that other people have. So you have to take care of yourself differently. Yeah. It's, it's tough for me because I'm starting to realize um, that I might not be able to do some of the things that I love to do. Um, and I'm trying to find ways that I can. Yeah. Um, so a few months ago, you know, time doesn't mean anything anymore since the pandemic. <laughs> um, I believe it was in July. <laughs> um, I went to Iceland, which has always been a bucket list thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I wasn't physically really up to it, but I kept thinking, um, if I don't go now, you know, things could get worse. Mm. Um, and it was very interesting. I had to just step back a few times and go, you guys go ahead. I'm going to stay at the Airbnb. I just need, I need a break. I need to lay down. Yeah. I need, you know. Um, no, I'm really sorry. I can't go on that 15 mile hike. <laughs> that would be all the energy I have for these two weeks. <laughs> um, and then hearing, um, I went from with a group of people, all different ages. And one of the ladies is, uh, retired in her sixties and was just like, um, you know, basically calling me lazy mm. because, um, you know, I'm young, I'm young. So, um, so therefore I should have all this energy because, because I'm young, I should be exactly the same as she was when she was 35. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't have a diagnosis at that point. So I was just trying to explain to her, like my body gets tired a lot more quickly. Um, you know, it's not because I'm overweight or because I'm lazy or because I don't work out enough. Like it's, that's not the reason. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I get really tired of that all the time of people that are older than I am saying like, you know, well, just wait until you're my age and you'll really know what, what knee pain is like. Mm. It's like, no, 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 no. I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's scary thinking about the future, you know, like not knowing what is going to happen to your body over time. Yeah. Yeah, I try not to think about that too much. Yeah, I like, you know, I always talk about living in the present, but I also feel like once you know what you have, you can start the work of learning what your body likes, you know? Like it's been that's been next to impossible because you don't know where to start, you know? Like when you when right. you're undiagnosed, it's like how do I even know where to begin? But like discovering that you have pots also, um like that's massive, you know? as far as learning how to um, function to the best of your ability, 
like managing the pots is going to be a huge part of that, let alone the EDS. So, and, and there are, you know, like, like your doctor said, there are management techniques that you can learn and you can start to like explore what your body is capable of. And, um, and I'll bet you'll start to feel some relief, you know, I'll bet that it'll, it will make things a little bit easier. Um, and yes, you will have this, you know, your whole life and you will be managing this and, and learning about it and testing your body and there'll be forward movement and backward movement. But there is also like a best, there is a best way through that, you know, even if that is hard, there's still like a best way for you personally to do that. And that's going to be different for every person. And now that you have the information about what you're doing, you can start to find that. And that's exciting, you know, um, like, I don't know, like my mindset on all this changed so much when I started using a wheelchair and recognized how much more I could do. It's like, wow, if I lean on some of the uh, um, uh, adaptive tools that exist, then I can do more, you know? I, I don't have to be lying in bed all day. I can roll around in a seated position. And if I'm able to find out why I need that and I'm able to go on medication that makes it better, maybe I won't need that adaptive tool anymore. And, uh, or, or I can use it on days when I need it and not on other days, you know? But there, there's like, when you're a creative person, you like to make stuff, you, you talked about that. And if you, you're gonna ha be, have this opportunity to think about your own body as this creative project to like find improvement. And I'll, I'll bet you that it'll help. Yeah, I'm, I think of myself as a fairly positive person. And um, in college, uh, with my nursing degree, we had to take a class um, called Death and Dying. <laughs> and it basically, it, it was a lot more fun than it sounds. Yeah. Um, but it was basically a discussion of how different cultures handle uh, death. I did that in college. Yeah. I had a class called so Death, Dying, and the Afterlife. It was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so interesting. Um, loved that class, yeah. which sounds morbid. Um, but one of the things we talked about was um, how people grieve differently. Mm -hmm. And I am an instrumental griever, which means um, that I take a take bad news and I want to do something with it. Mm -hmm. What what can I do? I always want to be doing things. Um, how can we fix this? Is there anything we can do? Um, so I saw that you know. When my grandmother died, I was always the one trying to like, what can, what can we make out of this? How can we make this as, as good of an experience as possible? And I'm always trying to do things. Um, so that's how I feel with this diagnosis. As long as I have things to try, mm -hmm. I'm good. I love that. So as soon as I got this diagnosis, I was like, okay, with the pots, um, I started drinking my um, electrolyte water. And then um, I got a few pairs of the um, compression um, socks mm -hmm. that kind of like keep the blood from pooling in your lower body, which is one of the things that happens with POTS. Um, and I was doing this and a little bit of that. And I'm getting on Amazon and I was like, are there any adaptive tools? Um, and I want to say thank you to you and to some of the other TikTok creators that I saw um, who are normalizing mobility aids. Um, because before the invention of the internet, I feel like if you didn't specifically know someone who used a mobility aid, you didn't really have a concept of, of younger people using them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's why I, um, felt 
motivated to put to give you that review oh, because you. you're helping me so much. Thank you so um, much. I'm so glad just, to hear that. Just normalizing these things. Yeah. And making it easier. I'm still struggling um with using mobility aids myself, but I'm slowly getting there. Yeah. Um, but I have noticed um that the amount of walking I do at work takes a lot of energy out of me. Mm-hmm. Um and I have bought I, so I've I've made the first step. I bought my first cane. Nice. Um, and I've started to use it. Um, I haven't used it at work yet because I I don't know. There's like a mental line I can't yeah. cross yet. Um, but it is so helpful with my balance. Um, mm-hmm. with the you know just giving myself a little bit more support. Um, and I I never would have uh, been able to make that leap. Uh, without you. Wow. So I wanted to say, <laughs> you know, cry. thank you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, wow. I'm getting a little teary eyed. Yeah. <laughs> using a cane, starting to use a cane was so hard, you know, like, and I did it when I was um, already not working. Like I was, I was, it was pre COVID, but I was basically living the COVID lifestyle of just being home all the time. And it was just like, I needed a cane to walk my dog, which was like the extent of the walking that I was doing. And the mental block was rough. It's like, this this means that I am weak, you know, that I need help to walk. And I'm, at that point, I was what, um, like 35 or 36, probably 35. And like, as a 35-year-old man to like, be like, I need help was just so hard. But then I tried it and I was like, oh, nope, it's great. I love it. <laughs> it's so helpful. Yeah. I need yeah. it. Um, and yeah, and it it just, you know, now when I use a cane, I doesn't even, I don't even think twice about it, you know? Like, e- even like days where I need the wheelchair, I, I don't think twice about it. And going from the cane to the wheelchair was easier than going from no cane to cane for some reason. Like that first step into mobility aid was was really hard. And, you know, TikTok, TikTok helped me too. Like watching Maya, I'm a roll with it, talking about a wheelchair was instrumental in me, you know, going outside in a wheelchair for the first time. And that was a turning point in my health because I started getting more exercise and more sunshine and more fresh air. And those things are crucial. And I'm, I'm slowly making some progress with my with my legs, you know, because I've been getting a little bit of energy from using the wheelchair to to go for rolls and then applying that to trying to do more like stretching and yoga and then trying to get on my, you know, my partner's Peloton for like five minutes just to get my legs moving a little bit. And, you know, I still don't know what's going on with me, but um, I do know that when I don't use my body, things get worse. So like the more, and the more I use my body in a way that is kind and gentle, the more I'm capable of doing. And I've had some false starts and I've hurt myself a little bit. I got that, you know, inguinal hernia and um, I just hurt my back. Like uh, last weekend, I was playing the drums and that's still a lot for my legs to do and stood up and my, my back went out and I was like, okay, well, this is very painful. Um, but I do feel like I'm seeing progress and I'm, I'm, I'm using the cane more than I had been, um, or even having a couple of days where my legs feel like I can support myself. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's maddening because I'm like, 
if I have a wheelchair, I shouldn't be able to do that. But I'm trying to get those thoughts out of my head because that doesn't matter. What matters is like, I have the tools that I need for when I need them. I still have days where I can't walk. And if those days are, are fewer, then that's a success. And I should just, you know, go about my day in the best way that I can. And there's, there's a lot of discomfort in that around like people judging you or, or thinking you're crazy or like being like, you shouldn't be able to do that. If you can't do this on that day, you shouldn't be able to do it on this day. But that's just not how it works. Like these things are, are dynamic and they go up and down. And, you know, it's a journey that a lot of us are on. And I think a lot of us go through it behind closed doors because it's scary of what other people might think. But I'm, you know, I know for me, there was so much power in seeing other people being public. And if if I'm doing that in any way, that's, um, I'm so, you know, that's so gratifying to hear that that's been helpful. Yeah, I, it's embarrassing to admit, but um, even as a healthcare worker, I, I didn't know the term ambulatory wheelchair user. Mm. I didn't, Yeah, I didn't know that. And to hear people say that it's not, um, I'm thinking the word crutch, but that doesn't make sense because that's also a mobility aid. Um, (laughs) But um, thinking of a mobility aid as um, you're not giving up. No, but it's helping you to do more. Yes, which is just not how I was ever trained in my medical practice to think of mobility aids. That's that's not how we thought of it. And um, I saw a a cute little video on TikTok of a a girl sitting in a wheelchair and a, a woman standing beside her saying, "Why are you using a wheelchair if you can walk?" And the girl says, "Well, why do you have a car if you can walk?" Hmm. And she just says because I can't walk that far. <laughs> and then the girl is like, exactly. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, who knows what you'd be, what you'll be capable of uh, when you start using that cane, if you decide to start using the cane at work. And that's, you know, obviously totally your decision and, you know, your comfort level and, and what your, what your body needs, but you, you deserve days for fun like that. I think that, that should be the goal is like to to yeah. find a way to work with your body so that you have enough energy on your four days off a week to have some fun because you deserve that. And I, I know that feeling of like, if I want to do one thing, I have to rest for the, like, if I'm going to go to dinner with, you know, with Andy's family or something, um, I have to rest all day. And I just know like, I have to do that. And I can't work because if I were to work, I would get, first of all, I would get so much worse and I would go back to the position where I can't do anything again. And I'm trying to, I'm still trying to dig myself out of this flare up. But on top of that, it would, you know, when I was working, it was taking, I was working four days a week as a leasing agent and I, it was taking a hundred percent of my energy um, towards the end when my flare up was, was about to start. And that feeling of being trapped of like, I, I'm either working or I'm resting and there's no in between like that feeling of being trapped is rough you know like you need those you need the 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 fresh air you need that sunshine of having some time and energy to do things that you enjoy like that that is a a basic thing of being human is is having that and when you don't have that 
it's it's really bad for your mental health and your physical health. So like you absolutely deserve that. And any accommodations that you need to make to make that happen are worthwhile. I'm currently in the process of trying to find a day job because I really feel like that would <laughs> that would help quite a bit. Yeah. Um because I think part of the issue is um you know, your sleep is just not as good when you try to sleep during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really feel like that that would be um, a big positive change for me. So that's yeah. that's the next step, you know, of things I want to try. Yeah. And you mean like a day job is in during the day, not like yes. on top of your night job. No, 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 <laughs> no, definitely yeah. switching. Yeah. Is that something where you can like, uh, you do you want to continue nursing and just switch to a daytime shift? Yes. Yeah. 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 And you know, you now have a diagnosis that you can use to advocate for that. You can say, hey, like this, my body is really struggling. I have Ehlers-Danlos. I have POTS. I need to be on a daytime schedule. And you never know what'll happen. Like when, when, when we advocate for ourselves is when change happens. And it's like, it's really hard to do. And it can be so intimidating to, to speak up on your own behalf when you're so, it's not like you're the type of person who cares for other people. You know, you're the, you're the caretaker. So to advocate for yourself, for your own needs is, is so tough, but can make, you know, it sounds like you're, you're start you're doing that and you're, you're saying, Hey, I need to switch. I need to try this different thing. And yeah, I mean, you just never know what the difference will be until you try it. Right. And I'm all about, Whatever I can try, whatever I can do, whatever new intervention I can, um, I can give it a go. Um, so as long as I have something new to try, I'm a fairly, <laughs> fairly positive about everything. Yeah, so. I, yeah, I love that mindset. I feel the same way, um, and and I'm also. It sounds like we're both also the type of people who will just keep trying until we find stuff that works. Yeah. Wow. What you, your story is amazing. I'm so glad that we spoke right after you got your diagnosis. Like, what an incredible <laughs> time to have this conversation because we've been talking about doing this for um, at least a month, uh, maybe yeah. more. So, if we had scheduled it immediately, we would have missed that window of yeah <laughs> of you getting that diagnosis, which is wild. You know, like that's crazy. Just a lifetime of having this disease and you got the diagnosis just like two or three weeks ago. That is is mind-blowing. And it also goes to show the rest of us who are undiagnosed, you really never know when it's going to happen. It could happen anytime if you keep trying. Yeah, listening to everyone's stories, um, I just keep thinking about like how lucky I am because I have um, the medical background. And so I've been able to spend a lot of time um, trying to figure this out for myself. I have physicians and, you know, I've talked to them about different issues, like I've told you. Um, but I'm, I'm able to do that kind of background research myself. Mm -hmm. I was able to tell, um, you know, I was able to find the geneticist outside of my primary care network. You know, I was able to do this, this background research and, you know, make it a little bit easier, I guess, for my doctors. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I think about how difficult it must be to navigate the healthcare system when it's just um, not very functional. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that as someone who works in the healthcare system? You must have seen so much. And also, I mean, I have to say, like, thank you so much for your 
for your service during COVID, like that, I can't, I can't imagine. You mentioned how much death that there was, and I can't imagine the toll that that takes on on all of the doctors and nurses across the world who've been fighting to save lives during this time. Um, but as far as someone with like a long term undiagnosed chronic illness, that's where things really fall through the cracks. So how do you feel about yes. someone who is like inside the system? How do you feel about the system? Um, it's very interesting because I function inside of it and I try to do my best. Um, but what I've noticed is that I try to do my best despite our healthcare system, mm. not with our healthcare system, which is really unfortunate. Um, I have definitely noticed, um, I've known, I've taken care of patients that, that the system has failed. Yeah. And it's really, it's really challenging. I remember one specific patient who had um, just chronic abdominal pain and I was working with the surgical team that night and um, their thought was just, uh, we're surgeons, let's take something out, you know? <laughs> and she, you know, she happened to have gallstones. And so they were like, oh, this could, maybe your pain's caused by this. And um, it wasn't. And she came back, you know, a month or two later and said, um, the pain didn't get any better. And the surgeons I worked with were just like, well, we tried all we can do and, you know, wanted to move on. And I was just so frustrated for her. Like, I understand because everything in medicine is so siloed. Yeah. You know, this is a surgeon, this is a rheumatologist, this is an oncologist. And um, the way our training is, you get so stuck in what you're doing. And this is all I can do. And so when someone comes in and has an issue outside of your knowledge, um, you, you just like kind of freeze. Whereas, um, you know, we should be working together better, um, the different specialties where we can say, you know, I might not be the person for you, but I know who is. Yeah. And, you know, she's right down the hall. Let's go talk to her now. You know, instead <laughs> yeah, of I love that. What a dream that would be. I know. It's very it's very bothersome to me. Um I recently interviewed for a, a daytime clinic position and the the one provider said I spend um every afternoon on the phone with insurance companies convincing them to pay for the tests and procedures that we do here because they they don't think that it's necessary. Yeah. And I said why should they get a say? Yeah. I know. Yeah. If my doctor says she has this, she needs this medication, I'm prescribing it, you pay for it, and the insurance company shouldn't be able to go, well, have you tried everything else first? Mm -hmm. um, I don't see that diagnosis listed, um, you know, all of these different things. It's like, it just bothers me. Yeah, no, it's awful. It's a huge barrier to care. I mean, I'll never forget when I first went on medical leave, when I was, uh, I had a doctor who thought I had Lyme disease. It was a misdiagnosis, but she sent that diagnosis to the, um, to the insurance company. And they, they not only said, well, you don't have Lyme disease, but you should be ready to go back to work according to all of your tests. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, not, not only do, you, do we not agree with your doctor, but we don't agree with you that you're sick at all, having never met me. And it's just because, like, when it's that thing where if, if, if the tests that you've had don't show something, then you don't have anything. 
when in fact, what is actually happening is that we haven't run the right test yet and found the thing to show. Um, but they jump right to, well, you're ready to go back to work. So I lost my benefits, you know, because I couldn't go back to work. I physically couldn't. So I just like lost my benefits entirely. Um, and yeah, it's just like people shouldn't have to go through that. You know, I'm, I'm so lucky that I, I had things to like family and friends to fall back on. And then I was eventually able to get onto uh, free health coverage here in Washington state with Apple health, which is, you know, Medicaid and it's amazing. And I'm so grateful for it, but there's so many people that, that don't have those things. And like a lot of those people end up homeless and that's just, it's disgusting that that's what's happening in this country to people with chronic illness. Yeah. You know, we got to care for each other. I absolutely agree. Yeah. It's just a challenge. And, and it's, um, I get this in, in, even in my own family, um, which I won't go into too much, but, um, just because someone happens to be born with stellar genetics and, you know, they don't have these issues. And so they think that everyone can just pull themselves up by their bootstraps, um, that's not how it works for everybody. No. And so I think it should be the goal of every human being on the planet to take care of the people that are less fortunate than them. Yeah. Can you, I, yet, that, the world would be yet, so different. Yes. And yet it just is not. Yeah. I totally, I'm totally with you. Like, it seems like with wealth and success and good health, something happens where people, start to think that people that are less fortunate than them are just doing it wrong, you know, or less yeah. healthy than them are doing it wrong. When in fact, like those people, you know, may just be lucky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to have perfect genetics, like what, what a gift, you know, to not have health issues is, is, I, is, I, I don't even know how to think about that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what would that feel like? Yeah, I don't know. But like, <laughs> but those people probably value their health. Not not all, but some of those people value their health the least because they don't because they feel invincible and they don't know what it is to to not feel well. So, you know, I don't know. It's just it's all so confusing and. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you you've been on such a journey. You're right at this pivot point in your journey. And I, I really hope that we can stay in touch and keep me updated on, on where things go in the future. But at this pivot point where you finally have a diagnosis at 35 years old, vindication for a lifetime of feeling that something was wrong, can finally let go of this self-gaslighting and have to like start that whole journey, which I know will take years to like start to trust yourself, trust your body again when it tells you something's wrong because now you have proof. Um, what, now that you have that, what message would you send back to yourself at the beginning of your journey to make it a little bit easier? Oh, I wish I could just send back the answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> um. I think I would tell my uh, younger self to trust my body more, hmm. um, to stop trying to push myself um, and to stop trying to think that um, if I can't do something that everyone else can do, that I'm doing something wrong. 
Um, yeah, I, I just wish over all these years that I hadn't, um, doubted myself so much. So I wish I could just say like, I know it, it seems kind of hopeless right now, (laughs) but you're going to figure this out. So just, just keep plugging away, but, but stop. Yeah. Stop doubting yourself. Stop telling yourself that, um, that nothing's wrong or that telling yourself that if, if something is wrong, that is your fault. Wow. I, yeah, absolutely. The tell, being able to tell yourself you're going to figure this out is so powerful. You know, like I've spent so much time trying to convince myself that I wasn't going to figure it out so that I could stop thinking about it. And I, at a certain point I, I, I'm like, you know what? I I'm going to figure it out. Like I have to, so I'm just going to do it. And then I really believe that now. I'm still not there, but I'm, I'm walking around with that belief. And it really helps, you know? Like, it really helps to, to have that belief. So I love the idea of being able to go back and tell yourself that from the point of view of knowing, you know, from like having the answer, um, where you know that you're going to figure it out. And for those of us who aren't there yet, we can still, we can do that for ourselves now. You know, we can tell ourselves you're going to figure it out. And just keep trying. And, you know, you just never know when it's going to happen. It could be tomorrow. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. Well, Ashley, you did an amazing job today. What a story. I, I'm Thank so, <laughs> I am completely honored to be the person that you talk to about this. The first time you say out loud, I have Ehlers-Danlos. I'm so honored to be that person. And I'm thrilled to have recorded it and to be able to share it with other people. You've given us like a massive gift today to have that moment documented and to, you know, to give hope to other people because there are answers to be found. It could happen at any moment. Um, I would love for you to plug anything, plug your social media, plug your, um, your projects again, your, the, uh, the, what was it? The skull caps. Is that what they were called? Yeah, the scrub caps that scrub I make. Caps. Yeah, that's the um, word. Yeah, where can we find you online? Okay, um, on Etsy. Um, again, it's uh, sun on my face um, for all of our medical listeners, I guess, that need scrub caps. <laughs> or I have been uh, told in some of my reviews that people have worn them uh, as like chemo caps. Okay. Um, when people have lost their hair, um, kind of all-purpose use. Yeah. Hat. Um, I am on TikTok under Hipster Leia, um, but you'll just find cat content on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still one of my favorite usernames. Hipster Leia is fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, and then um, I don't know if anyone would be interested, but um, during COVID, um, I did actually um, interview a lot of my friends that work in healthcare across the country, and oh, I wrote a book. Really. Um, and so if anyone is interested in that, um, it is on Amazon, um, and it's called, uh, the masks we wear. Um, wow. so, and that's about it's also available that's on Kindle about, about their experiences in, in the healthcare field. Yes. During it, the pandemic. Yeah. During, so specifically about like what it was Specific. like to be a nurse during COVID. Yeah. Wow. Though well, that's a great recommendation. The masks we wear. Yeah. And, and do, it, you, do you want to share your full name me, so people know where to find you on on Kindle? 
Um, so it has me listed. I have a pseudonym okay. on there um, because the hospital that I work at um, didn't feel comfortable with me sharing, you know, stories un- yeah. with my actual name on it. So um, it's actually listed as Anne Osmia, O-S-M-E-A. And anosmia is the medical term for losing your sense of smell. <laughs> That's uh, fantastic. So, anosmia. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love a good pun. That's that's a good pun. Yeah. <laughs> because so many people will not get it. That's what makes it a great yes, pun. Exactly. It's, it's just right there, but so many people will miss it. I would it's a I secret. would never have gotten that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the masks we wear by Ann Osmia available on yes. Amazon. Very cool. Yes. Wow. Man, well I I'm so impressed with the way you're handling this. I mean, what a momentous moment in your life. And yeah, please stay in touch. Keep us updated. Uh, if you, I love doing update shows. So if you ever want to come back on the show, or if you ever just want to update our listeners, or just update me, send me an email. <laughs> All right. But, Sounds uh, good. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks for talking to me. Like, this is like, um, you know, meeting a famous person for me. Like, <laughs> no like, one's ever said that about the podcast before. <laughs> I'm going to blush. Like, just, um, just imagine like, um, you have been a part of my life for about a year now. Wow. Like I found your podcast really early, um, when I was really struggling and I just did not know what to do with myself. And um, I was just trying to become part of this, this community, but I didn't know how. Wow. Um, and I just, I honestly was just randomly searching in uh, Apple podcasts, wow. um, you know, chronic, chronic illness content. Um, and yeah, you were the first person I found. And you're the only person I listened to. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, but um, yeah, you've been a, you've been a part of my life for about a year now, and I I hear your voice every week, and it's just uh, you know it feels like having a friend uh, that doesn't know you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Oh my god, I'm I'm just so touched. I wow, that's amazing. Uh, I'm I'm so glad. I'm so glad, and I'm I love that you're now a part of the show, and you know you are you're a part of the show forever, and anytime you want to come back and chat you let us know for sure um now i'm famous i'm famous too you're famous too (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening to this episode of major pain i'm jesse mercury your host and the producer of this podcast artwork by egg salad salad our theme music is the song time machine from my sci-fi synth pop album available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com.
Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters-Schmidt, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, and Alexandria Henderson. And our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.